It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Welcome to another edition of the Prospects Baseball Show. My name is Dean Millard, and I am joined as usual by the head coach and the assistant GM of the Edmonton Prospects, freshly back from Vegas. Jordan Blundell, how are you? I'm doing well. I had uh, my bench coach and longtime friend uh, Rob Boyk, Coach Boyk, uh, a.k.a. Jimmy Dugan lookalike, uh, get married this weekend, so... I got to tell you, Dino, it was it was a really great time. It was a beautiful ceremony. The wedding was great. Um, all the people were great. You know, honestly, I, looking back, I don't think it could have gone any better. Everybody was just, it was just great. You know, my brother is moving, or he is in Vegas now. He just uh, got a job with the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, his wife posted the other day about, um, you know, it's close to Napa Valley and it's like 300 days of sunlight or something like that. Like the sun is always shining in in Vegas. So I've never been. I'm looking forward to going. I have a place now. Um, you know, we've been talking a little bit about some road trips. Uh, we might have to go see a 51s game. Yeah. And we've also been talking maybe a podcast road trip to spring training next. I know I know we're just in the playoffs, but we're planning. We're planners. Yeah, you got to you gotta look ahead. You got to plan it. And then, well, I'll tell you, one of the curveballs we saw in Vegas was uh, the plan was that uh, Sunday we were going to be able to, or uh, yeah, Saturday, we're going to be able to spend time at the pool. After all the festivities and the running around, Saturday was going to be the relaxed day. And it was too windy. The pool was shut down. Whoa. Yeah. Was it really that windy? It was. And like looking out the window, you're like, oh man, like, what's going on here? Are you sure we. Then you go outside. Went outside, walked over to the convenience store. <laughs> you had to hold your hat on with your hand. I made a rookie mistake yesterday. I uh, was uh, doing the sidelines of the Huskies or the Wildcats in the Saskatoon Hilltops game at uh, Clark Park. I looked outside, saw it was sunny. Didn't take a toque or mitt oh, gloves. No. My wife, luckily, the saint that she is, had dropped me off and she was doing some errands and didn't get any of her errands really done because she had to go buy me a toque and gloves from some store. So, you yeah, know, I'm a, rookie, a, a Manitoba boy makes a rookie mistake on a cold day. How is that possible? Yeah, like it's, it's, uh, uh, that's it's that weird. first cold day of the year. It gets all us a winter winter folk uh, by uh, surprise. All right. So we're going to get an update on uh, things where they stand with the prospects in the city of Edmonton and Remax Field. Uh, Keegan Matheson from MLB.com. He's going to join us to look at the Major League Baseball playoff pitcher, and we are doing top five playoff performances today so let's get to it hey bada 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 so bada god i'm looking at the curveball let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball all right once again i'll ask you and you know i'm i'm cutting you some slack because you have been away and maybe there are developments that uh, are going on right now who knows uh, but uh, you basically got off the plane and and, and came out here but uh, anything that you heard while you were in Vegas about the, the future of Remax Field. Yeah, at uh, end of the month, uh, September 30th, we're, we're getting uh, we're getting to that point where you know, we're hopeful to be able to, to share some information here soon. Dino, I don't have anything new to, to bring to the table. Um, 
Uh, hopefully we're able to do that soon. All right. So uh, it is the uh, September 30th. It'd be great if there was an announcement in the next couple of days for baseball fans and for you guys uh, to be able to get going. Uh, we've, we've talked uh, in the last, I think the last two episodes actually, but certainly last week about managerial changes and, and some that might be coming. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think the Phillies have announced anything yet, but that's, uh, I think, uh, something you had mentioned is uh, up in the air. Brad Osmus uh, is also being reported that he could be out with the Angels. I th- isn't this his, that was his first season yeah, after first taking year. over from Mike Sosha, who was there. It's like whoever, 20 ta- years. Yeah, whoever takes over for Bruce Bochy. Okay, you get a year, you know, unless it's Joe Madden. Um, but so, so Osmus, and I'm wondering if this, this, this is the Joe Madden effect. It's like, when remember when uh, the Montreal Canadiens, uh, I can't remember who they fired to bring in uh, Ter- or not Terrian. Maybe it was Terrian they fired. I can't remember it. And they brought in Claude Julien. They're like, oh, this guy's available. Let's bring him in. This is what I think Major League Baseball teams are doing is like, Joe Madden's available. Okay, that guy that we just hired or that guy that we have or whatever, he's out. We're going after this guy. Or he might be out if we can get this guy. Do you think that's happening in Anaheim? Yeah, it looks that way. Uh, it, I'm not really sure what led to the hiring initially of Brad Osmus. Um, oh, okay. You know, I did, no, no knock on him. I mean, he's a veteran man, veteran player, you know, well, all, all the check marks, but I'm just not sure that what he brings to the table is what they needed. Honestly, from, from day one, I kind of sat, sat back looking back. Okay. I guess, you know, they must feel really You confident. just didn't see a fit there. I did not see the fit there. Is Joe um, Madden the fit? Joe Madden is a fit. Okay. Now, he, he's not the only piece, though. Like, they need, like, Joe Madden can come in and inspire. I don't think he's going to make Mike Trout a whole lot better because he's the best in the game, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, like, what coach was going to make Wayne Gretzky better after 1988? Uh, you know, yeah. th- he was the best in the game. Slats really, and, and Muckler brought him along. But what else do the Angels need to do to get Mike Trout in the playoffs? Because it's a crime that this guy is not in the playoffs. It's a crime for Major League Baseball that their best player is not in the playoffs. Well, Billy Appler's got some work to do. Uh, the, their their pitching staff is is not uh, robust enough. You know, they were missing Otani. Okay, great. That, and, and that's a big loss. But um, they're not deep enough in the rotation. They've got some young guys coming up, Like, but everybody does. Uh, they're they're going to need somebody more established to get up in the front of that rotation to, to give them a, a good workload every five days. Uh, that's mission number one. And Garrett Cole is going to become an available Southern California kid. Um, he's going to cash in. And and Artie Marino showing a pension for spending money. Um, the, the, there, there's some weird pieces in Anaheim. You know, you've got pool holes. He's still got two or three years left. You've but got, not a guy you're building around, No, you don't right? build around. But the weird Would pieces. Would you keep Albert Pujols? Or would you see if there's a team that could take him? And, you know, is, is Albert Pujols helping or hurting the Angels right now with his decline, his contract, his age? Well, I think if you could paint the perfect picture, you, you would be all right with that production out of your seven-hole left fielder, perhaps. Okay, okay. Um, with with Otani being there and Pujols, you know, lack of big-time range and mobility, um, you, the numbers were fine. Like he's basically major league average, but it's poo holes. So there, there's some clutch and he comes up with some big hits. That's true. You, you have Otani and, and you're going to need to DH him, you know? And, and the, so there's a couple, you know, poo holes needs to DH. Well, Otani needs to DH and, and the pieces don't quite fit. Now, now what's going to happen in the outfield is they've got a, a huge prospect coming up, Joe Adele. 
you know, top five, top ten MLB prospect. Uh, which right, center, left? Uh, most likely right field, but I think okay. he's versatile enough. He can play anywhere. Okay, good. You know, center field's taken. They've got Justin Upton in left. They've got Cole Calhoun in right, who just had his career year, uh, who's been there forever. Um, and they've got Joe Adele coming up. Now, you look at the potential of them letting Cole Calhoun go after a monster year, 30-plus bombs, you know, um, basically was the, the second fiddle to Trout this year. And and where does he fit? You know, where where does Upton fit? Well, if Joe Adele takes left field, now Upton needs to DH, and you've got Pujols and Otani, the, the pieces just don't quite fit. So there's a job to do there for the general manager. Okay, um, when we look at uh, the the regular season as it's now complete, we see the Milwaukee Brewers um, doing something I didn't think they could do. When when Yelich went down, I said it. I think they're gonna they're gonna fade away. They got even better. Yeah, like it's amazing. Does it remind you of anybody? Like um, you know, past. Uh, not that the Brewers came from really far and and closed the gap, but they lost their MVP candidate and still got into the playoffs. Uh, when you think back of, uh, you know, like I think back of, uh, I think it was Baltimore that collapsed and the Jays won in uh, in 89 and things like that. Uh, teams that, uh, you know, close the gap and run into the playoffs with momentum. That's the Brewers this year. You know, does it remind you anybody? Yeah, well, you, you can look at it kind of like a, a late season playoff surge. Although they were, they just kept winning, and they they were right in neck and neck, and they just never relinquished that, and were able to you know pull vault ahead at the end. Um, they didn't have to overcome a massive deficit games wise, but they never relented. And they had to just, overcome the deficit of not having know, Yelich. Yeah. Exactly. So um, there, there's a there's a couple really interesting ones. In 2007, the Colorado Rockies were four and a half games back, nine games left. Uh, Padres were ahead of them. The Rockies won 14 of 15 to end the year. They forced game 163. Now in game 163, it went to extra innings. The top of the 13th, the Padres went up by two. And then it happened. Tulo and Matt Holiday uh, became the heroes. Mm-hmm. They both had extra base hits versus Trevor Hoffman. The Rockies scored three in the bottom of the 13th. They won the game. And, and in that year, Rockies went all the way to the World Series and they lost to the Red Sox that year. Um, 2012, the, the Oakland A's, which is the classic mm. late season. We'll play our best baseball at the end. They're five games back with nine to play in 2012. They snuck in and, uh, probably the coolest story of, of recent memory was the 2011 race. There were four games back with 12 to play, uh, the Red Sox, uh, where they were chasing the final game of the year. Uh, they both their records are tied 90 and 71. The Rays were down 7-6, bottom of the ninth, two outs, and the household name Dan Johnson comes up, <laughs> hits a game-tying solo home run, forces it into extras, and then we look at what happens is Evan Longoria, the Mr. Ray, comes up and uh, hits a walk-off in the 12th, and they go to the playoffs. Uh, unfortunately for the Rays, they lost in four games to the Rangers in the ALDS, but um, to be four games back, 12 to play, four games back, nine left, um, those are those are those classic come from behind surges. But you know what? With the Brewers have done, I think they finished nine and one to end the year. Um, the, their record was even better than that on, on the on the last two three weeks. Uh, you know, to to lose Yelich and have the young guys and the 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 whole team come together like that that's pretty special. And, and you know, it, uh, they're they're a tough team. You don't want to see 
However, when Max Scherzer is the guy that you got to face, it's just like, what else do we have to overcome here? <laughs> They're playing with house money, man. Uh, they, they really, uh, they really are. Uh, okay, Clint Hurdle is out in Pittsburgh as the manager, and um, you know we don't know what everything that happens behind closed doors, but we have heard some things uh, in Pittsburgh, and you know, like they made a movie about Motley Crue called Dirt, and it was all about the uh, the crazy stuff that happened. It's it almost sounds like they could make a movie out of this uh, Pittsburgh Pirate team. It, it would be a horror movie, but they could make a movie. What a tough uh, tough ending for uh, managerial stand. It was nine years. He was uh, I think now uh, Bob Melvin is the most tenured manager, but Clint Hurdle was the was the next in line. Um, well, Bochi, yeah, because yeah, all those guys uh, are gone. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, you're yeah right. You're right. Bochi and and Yost. Um, and yeah. Yost, yeah. What happened in Pittsburgh this year? Uh, it, it was. It was bubbling early on. Uh, they had issues in, in, in the clubhouse. Uh, there was uh, an incident with Keon Kella and uh, a staff member, an administration person with, with the Pirates that was around the clubhouse, and they got into it. And, and you know, It's like Hurdle Blake had, Griffin. Remember when Blake Griffin, the, the clipper, punched the guy in <laughs> Toronto, his own, and then he got punched by his own? Like, it's just... Uh, what's going on that, fighting, that has to happen you know fighting and arguing and things like that is uh, you know can sometimes uh, lead to something healthy but not when broken bones are involved well i'm not sure that uh, the team personnel outside of the 25-man roster is somebody that that's getting fired up here we need to throw blows like yeah. if it's your teammate that you've been going on road trips with and and it, getting on your nerves sure. and you gotta everything's come to a head yeah maybe there's a couple th- punches thrown but you know, uh, Costanza as a traveling secretary is taking a few, you know, what's going on there. <laughs> so something was up. Uh, and then, and then, then late, not that long after Kyle Crick and Felipe Vasquez, who we'll have to touch on here in a second, they get into it. And then Kyle Crick ends up on the DL. He's out for the season with a broken bone in yeah. his hand. You know, these are, these are pitching staff guys. These are bullpen guys and the bullpen guys hang out together. So something is amiss in that bullpen. And it was categorically built up yeah. over the year. Now, the other thing with the Pirates is they were hitting a lot of guys this year. And the Cincinnati Reds didn't appreciate yeah. that. And right now, the Pirates have a reputation of they don't really care. They'll throw at you whenever they feel like it. Mm-hmm. And that's not cool. You guys aren't liking what the Pirates were bringing to the table this year. Mm-hmm. Also not cool is uh, you, you mentioned you were going to touch on uh, Vasquez. And uh, this goes beyond baseball. Yeah, it does. Uh you know, I'm not going to get into the details here, but for, for those that, that don't know what's going on, uh, you know, Felipe Vasquez was one of, uh, you know, the top relievers in the game, uh, throws a uh, hundred miles, uh, with ease, um, was a deadline potential and, and wasn't moved. Uh, and maybe we found out, you know, some of the things in the clubhouse, uh, prevented teams from pursuing that, but, um, he's been charged, uh, he's being held without bail. Uh, it involves, uh, you know, sexual assault and, and things of that nature. And a minor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, really tough to read about it. Uh, I'm not going to bring it up on the show, but if, if you if you need to find out what that is, you know, obviously throw it into the Google machine and you'll uh But the, And that, that's what goes story. beyond baseball. That's, that's you, know, you know, and that's, you know, what, infinitely more important than uh, a clubhouse chemistry or locker yeah. room chemistry. This is uh, sexual assault of a minor. 
And, um, you know, that's that's worse than anything that has happened on the field or in the clubhouse with, with this team. And just but, but yet more trouble. It's just piling on more yeah. more trouble for, um, you know, attracting. Like, what uh, what manager is going to be like, yeah, I want to come into that clubhouse now, right? Uh, it's, uh, th- there's some issues there. You know, and obviously that's outside uh, Clint Hurdle's uh, hands. But, you know, some of the other relationships that weren't built or things were going wrong, I mean, wrong mix of guys and and sometimes what's the manager to do but Mm -hmm. you know at this point uh you know he's going to take the fall for that so yeah there's going to be some transition and change in pittsburgh for sure all right let's get to our brackets now for uh major league baseball the playoffs you can do the bracket challenge at uh the uh, on the mlb app uh we'll start in the american league wildcard tampa bay and the a's who do you got taking that uh let's go i got the a's i got the a's okay um A's and Astros. 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 Twins, Yankees. Twins. Yankees. I right, there we go. All right. So there the first difference. Uh, Yankees, Astros. Well, I got Twins, Astros. Oh, sorry. Twins, Astros. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll say Yankees, Astros, and I'm going to say Yankees win this. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, with uh, on a home run. Oh, really? <laughs> Shocking. Wow. So the Yankees I have beaten the Astros. Who do you? Twins, Astros. I've got the Astros. Uh, that's uh, that's okay. the seven game series. Once we get into seven, I mean, uh, the Astros become even more difficult to beat. All right, uh, Brew Crew Nats in the wild card in the National League. Nats Scherzer game. He's a wild card guy. I mean, he's All right. we got the Brewers house money. Yep. Cardinals Braves. Got the Los Bravos. Okay, I got the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh. Uh, I don't even need to tell you who I have in the Brewers Dodgers. <laughs> so who do you got? Well, I've got the Nationals versus the Dodgers. Oh, and, and uh, I keep getting that mixed up. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, it, it may be because of our relationship. I'm going with the Nationals You're just to stir jerk. this pot up a little bit. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> um, uh, but I like you. But you're crazy. But you're. Cra- but I like you. You got a. You got a dart in your neck. Uh, I like you. But you're crazy. Uh, you're crazy. <laughs> I like you. But you're crazy. Uh, that's our relationship right now that might be one of the best scenes okay so i got the dodgers beating the uh brewers so i have uh you got dodgers and and i got the dodgers dodgers and the cards you have the braves and the nats who do you like out of that then i'm going with the braves right to get to the you've been bullish on the braves for a while yeah yeah i'm sticking with the gun there okay i got the dodgers obviously taking out the cardinals i have the yankees dodgers east west big market and uh, the spirit of Kirk Gibson carries the Dodgers yes. to their first series. Kirk and Oral, the Bulldog, uh, who will be calling some of those. Well, maybe he won't be, actually, because they switched to the playoffs. But He may be in the TBS cast. He could be. You know, so maybe. I got the Dodgers beating the Yankees in the 2019 World Series. Uh, you have the Astros facing the Braves. And who do you have taking it down? I've got the Astros. Uh, too good. And, and like their fourth guy, Jose Urquidy. Um, his numbers are, are as good as Verlander and Coles, and he's a you know, young guy. He strikes out, strikes everybody out. He's got a five to one K walk. His whips right around one. His low threes ERA. He's, he's explosive, you know. And we don't even know about this guy yet. So, and their bullpen, I'd like the bullpen for me. The playoffs is about the bullpen. Um, I, I've said I've liked like the Braves what they did back there. My question on the Dodgers has always been if something doesn't go right in that bullpen, and we've seen this recently, is that they've had issues stopping. Um, that worries me about the Dodgers. I love the organization. Now, 
you know, if if your prediction is accurate and the Dodgers do get to the World Series, but the the, the finality of your prediction is is they're not successful, we are starting to get into Buffalo Bills territory. One hundred percent. What the seven straight National League West titles. But here's the thing, and and listen, I'm going back to '88 because that's that's when I started. They won the the West that year. They were underdogs against everybody. And they might not be an underdog against the Nats or the Brewers, but you get into the Braves and the Cardinals, and I think, and especially if you get into the World Series and you're facing the Yankees or the Astros, they're going to be the underdog. I think they're the only, the only team they're an underdog is the Astros with. I think other than that, the you, Dodgers are really? the favorite. Yeah. Even over the Braves and the Cardinals? Yes. Because of their pe- pedigree, and I think they all ended up uh, the but, Braves and Dodgers about a hundred plus. Yeah, but wins. the Dodgers were in uh, uh, their division wasn't as strong as true some of the others, so they got some bonus wins that way. Like I, most wins in franchise history for the Dodgers, but this isn't the best Dodger team under under the table. They set the franchise win record. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, they they were underdogs against the A's in that yeah, series. I love you pa- painting the underdog so story both, yourself. Right. I'm, I'm 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 trying to call them an underdog, and they won the most yeah. uh, games yeah. in franchise at, history. Eh? Your tweet note at LA Times: We're yeah. underdogs. Yeah. We're underdogs. We're underdogs. Yeah. So that's our bracket. Play the bracket challenge at uh, MLB at bat the app. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. All right, uh, time for a little history class. We start in 1945. Hank Greenberg hits a uh, pennant-winning Grand Slam on the final day of the season. Like, th- that is the most exciting thing, when when things are decided on the final day. Uh, the Tiger left fielders, ninth inning bases, full homer, beat the Browns 6-3, clinching the AL peg for the uh, Detroit Tigers over the Washington Senators. 1956, Don Newcomb, three-time 20-game winner, goes the distance to earn his major league leading 27th victory when the Dodgers beat Pittsburgh at Forbes Field. Uh, Nukes win is the most ever in a season by an African-American pitcher. 27 wins, man. <laughs> like, uh, who was the who's the guy? He used to be on um, Detroit Television. He was former D- Tiger. He won 30 games or something like that. Uh, Denny McLean. Uh, like, you know, back in the day when guys were doing it, uh, pretty crazy. 66 at Comiskey Park, top of the ninth. Roger Maris, in his last at-bat as a Yankee, slams a two-run homer as a pinch hitter. Um, at, you know, and this was, he was thinking about retiring. And then the Yankees trade him to the Cardinals, like, and kind of embarrassed him a little bit by doing that. So, but your last at-bat as a Yankee is, is a home run. That's pretty good. Uh, 72. Uh, this is sad. Uh, Roberto Clemente of the Pirates doubles off uh, Met John Matlack to become the 11th major leaguer to collect 3,000 hits. It was a double, and it was his last hit because he died in a plane crash on New Year's Eve, um, you know, flying home to take supplies uh, to his home country. And, you know, you, you want to talk about uh, a guy that could beat the shift? Yeah. <laughs> That's a guy that you couldn't put the shift on, right? No, like, true you know, ball him, Ichiro, those kind of guys. Uh, Pete Rose was uh, pretty good at spraying the ball and stuff, yeah. but he, he was one of the best, right? He was, he was, and and the power arm and the defense and speed, like mm-hmm. the two five tool, uh, total package, real yeah. sad. Yeah. Okay, and eighty nine. This is we we kind of touched on this. Baltimore had uh, three months 
sitting first place in the uh, AL East, eliminated from the pennant race on the second to last day of the season when they lost their second consecutive one-run loss to Toronto, and the Blue Jays clinched first place in the AL East. Um, That was like... uh, the George Bell, Jesse Barfield yeah. era of the Jays that really got me excited when that, I was a that, kid. That helped tee up the pedigree for what would what would happen a few years later. Yeah, uh, that get over that hump with this yeah. franchise and bring and we, in some Alomars yeah. and Carters and things like that. They were able to establish that they 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 can win. Yeah. You know, they can get to the playoffs. So and they did. Tell us your best baseball story and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. All right, in uh, baseball memories today, uh, obviously um, we'll, uh, we're not doing the BP contest. We might be able to do that uh, uh, down the road next season. But uh, my baseball memory and... I don't exactly, I don't remember the time. I tried to, I was thinking back in my brain last night, trying to figure it out, Googling different series, but, so I don't know what, what the specific game was, but I do remember two times I've uh, called in sick to watch something on TV. One, OJ verdict. I I skipped, I called in sick for work to watch uh, OJ. I I was just fascinated by that. And the other one was afternoon baseball. I think it was like a Monday, either it was a play-in game or a wildcard game. And I, and I remember just sitting up in my room. I was supposed to be, I was still living at home and I was supposed to be sick. And I'm just watching this baseball game thinking, <laughs> this is the greatest sick day of all time, yeah. playoff baseball, because I love it. So that's a kind of a generic uh, memory for me is afternoon baseball, calling in sick to be able to watch it because I was so excited about it. Uh, so that that's my uh, baseball uh, memory. Here's yours. They would love a base hit into the gap, and they could win it with junior speed, the stretch. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line, down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My, oh, my. Martinez with a double ripped down the left field line and they are going crazy at the kingdom. All right, so that might have saved the franchise. Like they were struggling. You know, they had these players, but you know, the kingdom was worn out and you know, maybe not save the franchise, but that helped get them Safeco or, or whatever the ballpark's called now. That helped propel that franchise into getting the new digs, which is one of the classic ballparks uh, in baseball. I remember that game. Um, it was, uh, I don't remember the date. I looked up the date, October 8th, 95. Uh, but what I remember of that was for some reason, do you know, all, all day I was looking forward to getting home and watching this game. And I, like, I think the first pitch is, you know, four, 4 PM. So it was right after school. Um, I came home laying on the ground, put a pillow down and watched every pitch of that game. For whatever reason, I was just jacked up about this particular game. Um, and, and, you know, we just heard that, uh, Griffey, like Griffey was one of my favorites, you know, Edgar's sweet swing, uh, one of the best hitters of, of my lifetime for sure. 
Um, and, and the Mariners hadn't done it yet. You know, they were a young, up-and-coming team. They had all these superstar-type guys. Um, and, and for that to happen, uh, I remember it vividly. It was uh, it's such a great memory. I love hearing that clip. Um, you know, and like I said, that helped get them to the point where they uh, moved into Safeco Field and one of the true treasures of baseball, uh, classic facility. So uh, that's my memory, playoff baseball. And you know, obviously I've watched a, a lot of playoff baseball in, in my day, but um, that game stands out the most for me. There'll be some new memories made uh, this year uh, when the playoffs get underway tomorrow. Uh, but let's tee them up right now with Keegan Matheson of MLB.com. Play ball! Very pleased to welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show from MLB.com. Uh, covers uh, the league and the Toronto Blue Jays. Keegan Matheson is joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Keegan Matheson. Keegan, it's uh, great to chat with you again. Uh, how have you enjoyed um, this um, interesting Blue Jay season, uh, shall we say? It's been a been a long one as I sit here, you know, the, the day after the season ends. It's amazing to think that spring training was just six months ago when we were sitting down in Dunedin. It's uh, time moves at a different uh, different pace or, or different way, I guess, once the baseball season's on. But uh, an interesting season from a, from a coverage standpoint, and I think some of this might cross over to apply to some Blue Jays fans as well, where it was a losing season. It was not pretty, but compared to last year, 2018, for example, when there wasn't much of a clear direction yet. There were a lot of veterans getting rolled out who you knew were not part of this future. This year for the Blue Jays, even in losses, there was always a, a but. You know, the Blue Jays lose, but Trent Thornton looks good. Bo Bichette goes two for four. The young guys showing up a little more consistently, I think, allows you to see where this is going, potentially. And that makes it a, a little more tolerable. You know, there, there's no such thing as a good 67-win season in baseball by any means but you see where it's going. All right, uh, we'll circle back to the uh, Blue Jays a little bit more in depth in a bit, but we want to do a baseball playoff preview. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, playing hockey, and Stanley Cup Finals is probably number one, but really close here in the Major League Baseball playoffs. I love it. I just love when games go late, just like I love triple overtime games in hockey. So I'm hoping for extra innings. Let's start with the uh, the Rays and the A's in the play-in game. And, uh, you know, there was uh, three teams uh, for, for two spots going down the stretch. What do you like about the Rays and the A's matchup? Yeah, this is a, uh, an argument that a lot of uh, owners will be using when they look at their payroll this offseason, I guess, Oakland and Tampa Bay. Not a, not a lot of big, big names, not a lot of big contracts on these teams. But from a transactional or a real baseball nut standpoint, fascinating organizations because they find the right guys. They develop them initially or even like a Marcus Semyon, they, they develop them through their career and they find these stars on the cheap or where other teams aren't looking. And the Rays, I, I think when you look at them, it's a question of are they peaking at the right time? A lot of these teams, it, it gets a bit exhausting going down that stretch and competing over 162 because – these were two teams who knew they were not going to run away with anything. If they were going to get in, they were going to grind and, and creep their way in. And I think when you get to this point now, a lot of Tampa Bay's versatility and the creativity to have, some of that has to tighten up because this is just one game and you can't get too cute with it. But you know, two interesting teams. I, uh, I do like Tampa Bay going into it. But again, in a, a one-game playoff, it doesn't matter if this is 
Astros versus White Sox. You get one good performance, one bounce, it's going to change pretty quickly. So that's kind of the the, the beauty and the tough part of this wild card. It's you know for, for my dollar, a wild card game in baseball is, is one of the better games in sports. Just winner take all, one game, best on best. Hey Keegan, it's uh, Jordan Blundell here, and and you're you're totally right uh, that that one game, any type of bounce. Uh, it can go either way, and it's all hands on deck, and and uh, it really gives uh, really gives the fans that feel of what college baseball and what college baseball playoffs are like. Yes. It's it's do or die. It's a two in queue, two in a barbecue tournament. Is it, winner winner moves on, loser goes home type game. Um, now with, with Tampa and Oakland, uh, whoever is successful at making it through that game. They've got the juggernaut Astros sitting there waiting for them with a three-headed starting rotation monster of Verlander, Cole, and Greinke. I think if whatever team gets in there, they're just hoping to get to the fourth game. How do you see that series playing out? Yeah. You know, Oakland and Tampa Bay are really just playing for a trip to Houston. I don't know <laughs> if anything more is going to come out of that. And, you know, of course, anything can happen. There's an asterisk. But Houston is just so good. And they are a team very intentionally built for playoff baseball. You know, it, it's good to have rotation depth, which they have. That's something we talk about with the Blue Jays a lot. Having depth, that's great in, in June and July. But when it really matters, you need aces. You need that number one, number two, number three. It kind of turns into the, the NBA style. You need superstars and you need a few of them. And the Astros have them up and down their lineup. So any team going through those first couple of games, you're gritting your teeth and hoping you can somehow steal one, you know, one of those first few games and then fight back late. But Houston is just set up so well with the, the talent, the depth of talent, the bullpen, and a great lineup too. You know, we talk so much about how, how pitching wins in the postseason, and mostly that's true. Uh, an offensive juggernaut can change that. There's a lot of ways to win a ball game. But Houston is the absolute blueprint of how you build a World Series team, you know, because teams are going to go into a series against them thinking, how do we win the first couple of games? How do we even get around that? Not, hey, let's go win. It's an incredible challenge, and everybody knows that. Yeah, it's murderer's row from a pitching yeah. pitching standpoint. Uh, so when you look at that, do you do you favor the Rays or the A's? You know which team, if they had a chance, and and this is a slim chance, I think. And that's no disrespect to those other teams. It's just how good Houston is. Which do you t- think uh, team matches up better? I think you would need to look towards the Rays in terms of a good matchup there. I, I know it would be tough to go blow for blow with the lineup, but if you can get Blake Snell looking good and really rediscover himself all of a sudden. You have Charlie Morton there as well. Glasnow, he can have great games when he is on. So much talent for Glasnow. So if you can get those guys, you know, they're good. They're not Verlander and Cole by any means. But on their very best day, if they match up against a Verlander who's having an average day, unlikely as that is, maybe you can squeak something out. Any team going up against Houston is going to have to hope for that, I think. Having a great day from their starter, and getting you know running into a home run, you know running into a fastball down the middle from one of these starters, and, and hoping to win a two-one game, and it's going to be a, a lot of scrappy games. I think I, I don't love that word, but if you're going to have to beat the Astros two to one or three to two, you're, you're not going to blow anybody out. All right, so we're speaking with Keegan Matheson of uh, MLB.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Keegan Matheson, and 
The other matchup in the AL is a little bit different than what you were just describing. I mean, the Twins, I think, were the first team to hit 300 home runs in the season. We saw what that Yankees outfield alone can do. Um, are, are we expecting bombs galore in this series? I think you have to. And this is a, a, a real modern baseball type of series. There will be strikeouts and there will be home runs all over the place. And I think you could see a couple of big games. It'll be a, a good advertisement for baseball right now. And the Twins really don't get much coverage. I know that they're not a big market team. Ask a baseball fan to name the lineup of the Minnesota Twins, and I wish them good luck. They are not a top-shelf, top-of-mind team. But they have become really fascinating under Rocco Baldelli there, who's done an amazing job, a manager of the year candidate, and so much power from top to bottom. And that's what makes these teams so interesting. They do have the, the Aaron Judges of the world, of course, who are belting out home runs whenever they get a chance. But it's about all of these other guys who are hitting 15, 20, 22. It seems like everybody is doing that in Major League Baseball right now. And this will be an interesting one because I don't think pitching – will or, or can decide this it's going to be a battle of which team gets on a hot streak at the plate and that's really not something we see a lot in october you know who's going to win the eight to six game the 10 to five game mm-hmm. that is something we see in the middle of the year but to, to see that in the playoffs i think will be be pretty special both teams will be crossing their fingers hoping they can get a, a really good start from a, maybe a severino or a paxton on the Yankees side but that's going to be tough so uh, who who do you think is going to move on with that Twins and Yankees uh, bomb fest here and, and have the opportunity to, to face the Astros lineup? You know, I would pick, I think, the Yankees right now to, to go ahead in that series. and That would set up a, uh, you know, a matchup between the Astros and New York that would be, I think, obviously slanted to Houston, but a, a matchup that I think makes a lot of sense. You know, two teams who have played so well this year. The Yankees overcoming a thousand injuries. You know, Houston has relatively been healthy compared to the Yankees. Everybody's been healthy compared to the Yankees. But uh, if the Yankees can get through that, they're going to have to find a way to slug their way through Houston. You know, they're not going to outpitch them by any means. They will need the judges and the Stantons and the Sanchez's to come through. But I think that is where the worry is if you're New York, that there's always been kind of a wall waiting there that they might hit just because. You know, where's that pitching going to come from? And how long can you overcome these injuries? How long can Gio Urshela, a former Jays cast off, how long can he play like an all-star? There, there's a lot of uh, unsustainable things going on there, but that's fine as long as you can keep it going until the end. But we'll see how long they can kick that down the road. Yeah, we look at uh, what Cashman's done in New York, and, and you know, basically his philosophy was to build the best bullpen possible. Um, knowing that you know, if I can get four or five solid innings out of my starter and have this game be tight, I can turn this over to the the the, the juggernaut of a bullpen that the Yankees have built. Um, do do you see that strategy working against the Astros if they can get through five with a Severino and a Paxton and and not give up anything with their power and and their bullpen waiting for the Astros? Do you think that's going to be enough to to propel them past the Astros into the World Series? That's really one of their only chances, uh, leaning on that bullpen and, and keeping that lineup kind of off balance. When you're, you're looking at the Bregmans and the Altuves, top to bottom in that lineup, they've built it very well. You know, Michael Brantley was a great addition this past offseason, really well-rounded as hitters, not just for power, but getting on base when they need to, hitting that single or double when they need to. So if you're New York, you need to disrupt that. 
somehow. You're going to be facing them, you know, for three or four. You're hoping five games in a row if you're pushing that series late. There needs to be an element of disruption because you're not running out of Verlander or a Cole where you can say, hey, go take this game by yourself. Be the best pitcher on the planet. The Yankees don't have that option. So when you're looking at that bullpen, I, I think that needs to be a major play. Uh, are they going to get creative and roll out a playoff opener at some point? I think we'll see a bit of that, which you know, baseball purists, seeing that in October will really not make them happy. <laughs> but it's going to have to be something that teams like the Yankees consider as they're trying to really still work around a, a bit of a patchwork rotation late in the year that's been up and down and all around. But you know they've made it work with Boone in the front office with Cashman. They've really made it work. But how long can you do that? All right, so which American League team do you see advancing to the World Series? Yeah, I'll be I'll be really uh, hot take over here, and I, I do believe it will be Houston. I, I, I do believe they still are really a World Series favorite going into this. Somebody, I, I guess the best way to say it is that somebody will really have to shock us or do something very special uh, to beat Houston. So if you see them getting knocked out, which very possible, it's baseball. If you see that happen, somebody has done something pretty incredible. All right, uh, let's switch to the National League now as we're joined by Keegan Matheson of MLB.com. You can find him on Twitter, at Keegan Matheson. Uh, Nationals, Brewers. And I, I kind of look at the Brewers as a team that that might be saying to themselves, we have nothing to lose here. We, we lost Christian Yelich. We still made the playoffs. We're kind of playing with house money. Um, they're, they're, they're on such a roll. This is kind of the one team I don't think I want to face, especially in a wild card one-off game. Definitely. And this is a, a wild card that I think is kind of unfair to both teams. I think they've both really earned a, a shot at a full series here because what the Brewers have done after everybody wrote them off without Christian Yelich, they are still a good team. You know, they do not have the best, one of the best players in baseball right now anymore, but they're still a very good team and they were hot down the stretch. And as a wild card team, it really matters to be hot down the stretch. You know, like we talked about with Tampa Bay, are, are they peaking now are they playing their best now we'll see milwaukee certainly is you know they are red hot they have momentum they have confidence coming into this and if you are the brewers you're right Dean. you have to look at this and just say hey look whatever happens happens but let's take some risks let's try to steal that base let's lay down that squeeze bunt let's swing on that 3-0 pitch why not and for the washington nationals they have played so well since that ugly start i mean during the middle of the season, you were looking at the Nationals and thinking, okay, they lost Harper. This team doesn't have much of a direction. It will get more expensive. But they turned it around and have played such good baseball. And, and that really wasn't wasn't something I expected. You know, Even when they were playing poorly, I didn't look at that roster and say, hey, they'll turn it around. But they have. So whoever loses this game, it's a sour ending to a couple of really good stories. You'd love to see them have more, but um, I'm interested to see how the Brewers and, and Council approach this because they are playing with house money, and I think they can have some fun with that. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. The the house money with the Brewers for them to do what they've been able to do with Yelich uh, going out with the, the broken kneecap. And for the for the Nationals, conversely, the, they start 19-31. and 31. Dave Martinez is on the chopping block, and since then... Um, I mean, talk about hot teams since then. I mean, they're, they're the best team in the big leagues with, with what they've been able to do. Um, so we'll slide over on, into the other series because I know my partner here, uh, 
uh, has uh, a question probably for you, Lumen, with the, the Dodgers there. <laughs> so we look at, at the Atlanta Braves and the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, Atlanta's got that young rotation. Uh, they've got the, the young athleticism in their lineup uh, versus maybe the KG veteran of playoff baseball and, and the St. Louis Cardinals with the, the remnants of the World Series and Molina and Wainwright. Uh, the pedigree that the Cardinals fan base and, and their community is used to this team being in this position. How do you see the, the Braves card series playing out? A really interesting conversation of timelines here, I think, with the Braves. Is is it time yet? Or is this the, the series that they'll come close in and you look back on it as, okay, that's, that's where they learned how the playoffs work. All of these young players, that was that last kind of stumble or hurdle before they turned into a annual World Series contender. I think the Braves are ready to do that now and take a run. I do like Atlanta in this series. I like the young guys on that team, not just as, as players. It's, it's, there's lots of good players, lots of good young players. But these are good young players who can make it work and who like the spotlight, are comfortable in that spotlight. And the Braves have gotten a lot of it this year. But the young rotation, the, the young talent they have, across that outfield, on their infield, this team is set up to do good for a long time. And they have some long-term contracts set up that are really going to help them do that and help them continue to add and grow and keep their own guys. So it's, I, I think, going to be a, a bit of a passing of the torch you know, from, from a team who has been a perennial contender and a lot of great history to a team who is set up to do that for five or six years. And you've got to be hesitant saying that about any team in baseball, but Atlanta is right there. And they are, you know, for, for people who, you know, Jays fans, for example, who watch a lot of AL, the American League Baseball, when you watch the Braves, it is one of the more fun brands of baseball. Just to sit down and watch one of their games, the electricity, the athleticism, the stolen bases, the power, it's all there. It is a very viewer-friendly style of baseball, and I think they have a, a shot to make a real run at this. All right, uh, let's get to that uh, Dodger series that I am very uh, excited about. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I've been a Dodger fan since 88 when Gibson hit that uh, amazing home run. And unfortunately, that's the last time I've been able to celebrate a World Series title. Um, there's, there's two guys I want the Dodgers to win a World Series for. Clayton Kershaw and Vin Scully. I want those two guys to be able to celebrate another World Series. I, I, they're, you know, their their pitching staff is, uh, you know, one, two, three is pretty good. What they have that they haven't had in in the last few years, Keegan, is an MVP guy in Cody Bellinger. Like they had Manny Machado, who wouldn't run out ground balls. Like they've they've had good players <laughs> before, but they haven't had a Bellinger in, in in a while. How much how much of a factor is Cody Bellinger going to be in this playoffs? <laughs> When you look at Bellinger, what he's done this year, the, the power, the consistency, we get so hung up on the, the home run numbers, but his offensive game is so well-rounded. His approach, his ability to go the other way, and his ability to adapt to different pitchers, I think is really big, especially in the, in the playoffs where you're facing not just different pitchers, but everybody's best pitcher. So having the opportunity to adapt to that and, and show what he can do against those pitchers, I think this will be, you know, not, not that he needs a coming out party, but this is really going to introduce him to anybody who is not already firmly on that bandwagon. And having him in the middle of the lineup, he can be a, a series breaker, a game changer. He is 
the guy who can go, even in the playoffs, four for five with a double, a home run, four RBI, and, and really control a game. And you're going to need one or two of those in the playoffs. I know it's all about pitching, but one or two times along the way, you're going to need a guy to show up to the ballpark and say, hey, we're going to win today, and it's going to be because of me. What do you make of uh, Clayton Kershaw and the playoffs? Um, he's, it's not David Price-like, uh, you know, and Price finally kind of got over that that hump, uh, but Clayton Kershaw and the playoffs have not been, uh, like, it's not a good bedtime story to tell your kids at night. No, certainly not. And I, I think that out of these playoffs, if you can imagine all of the potential narratives, I think one of the best stories, maybe the best story that could happen would be Clayton Kershaw leading a team to the World Series and winning it and, and pitching well in that last game or you know starting game four and coming on in relief in game six to lock it up type of thing. And I think that story is waiting there, begging for Clayton Kershaw to come take it because he's the exact pitcher who can. He's got that Verlander trait. You know, not only is he great and a workhorse, but he's such a, a classic throwback pitcher who is just, built out of baseball and one of the greats that we've seen but you want to have that playoff moment because as a you know as a fan just of baseball you never want there to be that but still hanging over a player yes he was great but what about you know you'd love to see that argument removed so a guy like Kershaw is always going to get everyone's bet and that's a, a really interesting conversation to have with ace pitchers and I have talked to a few guys this year about just that yeah you know the challenge of getting every single hitter's best effort. You know, not that hitters are lazy against other pitchers, but if you're going up against Clayton Kershaw, you're putting in that extra 20 minutes of video work. You're taking a few extra swings, and you are locked in the whole way. And that's, that's got to be exhausting if you are Clayton Kershaw to be getting everyone's best bullets. But uh, I think this is as good a time as ever, you know, even with hindsight, as good a time as ever, for him to step up and grab that moment because it would make perfect sense. The script is already written. He's just got to step into it. So we see the, the LA Dodgers moving on and facing the Atlanta Braves. We're looking at an NLCS of youth versus the team that's been there and done that. Um, I, I know my buddy Dino here is, is looking forward to what you prognosticate for this series, but if it's the Braves and it's the Dodgers, where do we see this going? Is this a long series? Is this a short series because the, the veteran team knows how to do it? Or are we looking at possibly a 6-7 game series in the NLCS? If it were to line up Braves and Dodgers, I think that could be a deep one. And kind of like I mentioned earlier on the Braves, maybe this could be that series where they just get to the cusp, they really push for it, but at the end they fall a bit short because you know the, the young guys are still a couple of steps away. The Dodgers are the Dodgers. They have the, the more veteran experience. So, uh, you know, not to see the Braves are lacking anything, but there's just really something to be said for experience and knowing what it's about, knowing how to get to that World Series. So this could be the learning experience for the Braves while it's finally the big step for the Dodgers as they go into the World Series with some momentum, potentially. And, uh, you know, the, the Braves, I think, are, are a team that will take over that throne in a lot of years to come. But the, the Dodgers really are built well. You know, not to perfect blueprint like we see in Houston maybe but they are built well for the deep playoff run when you have Kershaw you have Ryu and I think Walker Bueller for my dollar is still somehow one of the more underrated young guys in mm -hmm. baseball someone we just don't talk about much on the east coast or, or you know in in the New York markets Boston Toronto his name just doesn't come up much frankly because 
not a lot of people are staying up until 1 a.m. to watch the end of the game. But he is a fantastic young pitcher. So this could be uh, another bit of a coming out party for him as well. All right, so that leaves the uh, Dodgers and uh, I think it was the Astros uh, that you had earlier, and, and we've seen that matchup before. Um, does it end better for the Dodgers than it did previously? And who's a candidate for World Series MVP between these two teams? Oh, good question. I think that for MVP, I would be looking for one of those classics, you know, like the Kershaw I was just describing, performances of a guy who circles back and pitches a few games in the series. I I would like the Houston Astros, of course, you know, on paper looking at it. We'll see how healthy both teams are by the time they get there. I do like Houston for the World Series, but both teams are worthy and, and capable, certainly. And I, I at least like L.A.'s chances more this year going in. Looking at an MVP, you've got to look at the Cole, the Verlander, the Kershaw, the Bueller. Who is going to do that game one, game four, and then come back in game six type of performance? Because these guys, especially when you're looking at a Verlander and Cole, are high strikeout guys, very high strikeout. So you don't mind bringing them in in relief, you know, obviously, being a couple of the best pitchers in the world. But they can circle back and really have that heroic performance, and it's, uh, it's waiting for them. I, I think that by the time these playoffs get down to the end, which I'd expect to be Houston facing either uh, you know the, the Braves or the Dodgers, I, I really think we're going to be looking for that heroic pitching performance because there are a lot of veterans lined up waiting to do that. I, I think that the the cards are going to go in that favor. I, I think it's really lined up well for a good one. So, Keegan, uh, the, this being the year of the home run, uh, 2019 has set the set the bar high for the amount and the, just the sheer power numbers that, that have come forth in, in baseball. Do we see the playoff run this year um, maybe mimicking what we've seen in the past where there's a pitcher uh, that's able to just take the Bulls by the horn and lead his team to the World Series? Or is this going to be an offensive playoff over the whole course of the wild cards right through the World Series? Is the story going to be offense, or are we going to get back to classic baseball where, where pitchers are going to decide this thing? You know what? I think it'll take a step back towards classic baseball, and there will be a few pitchers, you know, the ones we've just talked about, who will control this. And, and you can see that with a, a guy like Scherzer as well if the Nationals come out in the NL. But overall, I, I think you're still looking at teams like the Yankees, for example. Whoever's facing the Yankees, you could be facing an opener. You could be facing a few different pitchers throughout the game. And you know, guys on that team who they will be rolling out, like the Paxton, they've had some rough starts along the way. So I think at the very top, you'll see some of those controlling pitchers which I love. That's one of my favorite things about October baseball, to see a guy truly dominate. But overall, in the big middle of it all, I think you will still see some offense. You know, it's, um, it's always kind of the old baseball adage that the, the baseball doesn't fly as well when the cold weather comes. I'm not smart enough to know the physics behind that by any means, but you, you, know, you typically do see the bats quiet down in the playoffs. It's where you see the 4-2 win, not the big one. But uh, that's going to be when styles of play come together and clash like you could see in a potential Yankees Astros series it's not just two good teams it's two different styles of play a bit of an old school where a pitcher can lock it down versus a team that's trying to slug and punch their way out of it it'd be really cool to see I I do like a a good pitcher over a good lineup any day but it just takes one big hack by an Aaron Judge and everything changes all right let's circle back to the uh, Jays quickly and uh 
wrap on their uh, prognosis. We're talking about playoffs here today, and the question I get asked the most when it comes to the Blue Jays is when I think they'll be back in the playoffs. Um, is is two to three years, is that in the ballpark, do you think, Keegan? I think that's a safe answer, yeah. Uh, next year, I think, will be continuing to be a transition year, uh, however you want to label it. Uh, it's, it's not a rebuild year anymore. The young guys are here but it's still transitioning and growing. The Blue Jays desperately, desperately need to find pitching wherever they can find it. And not just pitching depth. You know, it's great to have 15 or 20 guys who can start a major league game, but you need to win major league games. You need to go deep, throw those seven innings, have a guy with an ERA south of four. That's going to be a challenge for these Blue Jays. So if they were to come out next year and finish the year, let's say, in the high 70s when it comes to wins, just to, to really roughly ballpark it, add 10 or 12 wins to their record from this year, that could be viewed as an okay step. And then in 2021, 2022, perhaps that's when they go out and really spend. They're going to have to spend some money this offseason, but I think it will be more in, in the mid-range at, at most. It's not a, a huge free agent class either. But if you can set yourself up as the Blue Jays to spend the year after that, Maybe that's a bit of a jumping off point. But uh, you know, for all the optimism there is around these young guys, that's great. But you need to turn it into something because young baseball players are, are volatile. Just because they're good one year does not mean much. They have to prove that every single year. And we've seen a 1,000 young prospects be good for a bit and then fall off the face of the earth. So a lot needs to go right, and there's still some winning that needs to happen first, not just, uh, not just the optimism. I can't help but uh, draw a parallel to to our community in a different sport with the Edmonton Oilers and and some of the the rebuilding we've been through here in this community with that franchise and the youth and you know look at uh, the relation to the Blue Jays with all their young you know budding superstars coming up. Uh, we look at uh, you know maybe one of their veterans that they won't be bringing back and Justin Smoke and um, the. the the undescribable leadership that, that we don't see as fans, it's an everyday thing as the baseball season is six months long and, and there's traveling and all the hotels and whatnot. You know, how, how are the Jays going to maneuver replacing someone that, that has commanded so much respect inside the clubhouse with the young players? If they don't go back to Justin Smoke, how are they going to be able to bring someone in to you know, maybe help guide these these young players into the next stage of their development and, and uh, help support that winning culture moving forward? Yeah, that'll be a, a tough one because it's something that you can't force. You know, it's uh, I, I think it's uh, kind of the classic thinking and uh, that you just go out and sign an old guy. Everything will be fine. You know, if you're a young team, go sign a guy that's in his last couple of years of his career and he will come in and share his wisdom, but it's not that easy. Number one, not every guy wants to do that. It's a, a big ask for a guy to, to be that selfless, but Justin Smoke certainly did it. And beyond the man he is and how good and sharing of a person he was in that clubhouse, what was important to me about Justin Smoke was that in, goodness, let's say 2009, 2010, he was supposed to be the next big thing in baseball. He was supposed to be the next Carlos Beltran, the next Mark Teixeira, that great middle-of-the-lineup hitter, and he failed. He was not that. In Texas, in Seattle, he was just another guy. He was a DH with a little bit of power but couldn't really put it together. So he was a failed prospect. That's really valuable in a room full of prospects, You know, helping these guys 
learn what they need to do, learn the ropes. And, and talking to Smoke about that, he, he told me that when he came up to the major leagues, you know, Justin Smoke is a guy who should, in a great year, hit 25 or 30 home runs and take a ton of walks. That's when he's valuable. When he came up to the majors, he tried to hit 50 home runs because everybody talked about him as the big, strong, muscular slugger who would hit fourth and drive in the runs. That got in his head, and he tried to hit 50 home runs. When you do that, everything falls apart. So having that wisdom of, from a guy who has failed before and then succeeded, I think is incredibly valuable. And you can say the same for Clay Buckholes in the rotation. I know he did not have a good year. Every single pitcher in that clubhouse mentions Clay Buckholes unprompted. The help he's given them, whether it's showing them the ropes and taking care of them or if it's showing them a, a curveball grip that suddenly makes something click. Those guys are difficult to replace. And you can get some of it from coaches, from staff, from players. Uh, Kevin Biggio is going to be that guy, I believe. He, he'll he be the guy whose face we see after big wins and big losses. He is uh, a veteran trapped inside a, a 24-year-old's body, and that's really going to be important. But uh, you know, at some point, you do need to have a veteran who's been in the, the league for 10 years. You don't need a ton of them, but having a couple around, like smoking buckles this year, uh, was really valuable. Difficult to measure. Uh, I know we like to measure everything in baseball. But uh, you see it when, when you see these young guys in the clubhouse around them. Yeah, you know, just looking from afar, it, uh, it's a concern I have for the Blue Jays moving forward is, is how are they going to replace that leadership um, if they do decide that this, this is the, the final final run for Justin Smoke. And, you know, like you said, for pitchers to have a guy like Clay Buckholes there to share the wisdom and, and playing in the big market in Boston and going through all the things that you go through there to now come back in and, and probably a little bit more of a laid-back environment in Toronto and be able to share that wisdom. Um, you know, the, the I'm involved in the game, and then that's uh, irreplaceable to, to find guys that are willing to do that and are, are successful at sharing that information. And I wanted to touch on the, the, the manager, Charlie Montoyo, and, you know, he's done a, a, from afar looks like a really good job of uh, managing expectations and, and putting players in positions to be successful is, is would you say that uh, Charlie's had a successful season as a manager and, and do we see Charlie being the right fit moving forward as this team matures into what we hope for is a, a playoff contending team in, in two to three years? Yeah, I, I do think that Charlie has had a good first season as manager and it's, it's tough to, to say that about a 67 win team, but what can he control and what was he given to work with? That's the big question looking at this. And the, the Blue Jays used 21 starting pitchers. That hasn't happened in a hundred years. And that's not by Charlie's choice. That's by the realities of this roster, by injuries, a lot of that stuff. So what mattered for him and what he could control, in my opinion, is managing the young players and getting them the reps, cycling them through the lineup and communicating. You know, he is, a manager of a baseball team, number one, but he's also the manager of that clubhouse and making sure these guys are in line, getting their work in, which can be challenging with young players in 2019 as they're coming up. And I think he did a very good job of that. There is a, a great deal of trust between the players and Charlie Montoyo that he is not going to hide something from them. He's not going to yank them out of the lineup without talking to them first. A lot of those little things, he does right. And I think it's a good fit because there, this is something I learned watching John Gibbons in Toronto. There is definitely a, a fit between manager 
and roster. Now, John Gibbons was a great veteran manager. He knew when to stay out of the way, and he knew that, you know, goodness, I have Russ Burton, Jose Bautista, Donaldson, David Price, R.A. Dickey, massive, massive personalities. John Gibbons knew when to throw his arms up and get out of the way. That's a talent, and he did that very well. Charlie Montoyo comes from a player development background in the minor leagues, so he knows when to get involved and when you do need to micromanage, when you do need to talk to these guys. So I think his ability to connect to the younger players and connect to the Latin players as well, to speak to them in Spanish, that's big. It's uh, very important you know, for the Blue Jays. So I think going forward, that will be, that will be very helpful. You know, of course, where the, the clubhouse, the veteran leadership will come from, we'll see. But it was, a, uh, I think, a good first year for him just in terms of roster fit. He makes a lot of sense for this roster. And you know, beyond that, one of the, the kinder guys you'll, uh, you'll ever want to meet as well, Charlie. He's, he's been, a, been a real treat to get to know. Keegan, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the playoffs. And, of course, uh, the offseason. We'll chat again. You got it, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Keegan. Play ball. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. Want two tickets to an upcoming prospects game? Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. The beautiful singing voice of Christine Bandolo and uh, her husband Kevin Dabbs uh, in that as well. All right, so take me out to the ball game trivia for Pride. Uh, you guys aren't playing right now, so it's kind of hard to uh, give tickets to the game. <laughs> you, 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 maybe Jordan can get some buddies together. They can go to the schoolyard <laughs> and they can uh, like play some stickball for yeah. you or something like that. Uh, so Pride is on the line. Uh, the question is, name the first team to win a wild card series. The first team to win a wild card series. Um, you can take a guess if you want to. I'm not going to even acknowledge your answer because oh, I don't geez. want to tip anybody off. I've, you caught me off guard. I have no idea. It's been so long. I can't yeah. remember when the wild card was first go. instituted. So uh, shortly after the expo should have won the World Series. Yeah, yeah. Um, dang. Last week our question was, "What was Wrigley Field called at first before it was Wrigley Field? Wiggum Park or Cubs Park? They they called it as well. So Chief Wiggum, Chief Wiggum, Chief Wiggum, <laughs> Ralph Wiggum Stadium." Uh, Weegham, it was called. So, uh, we'll let you, uh, stew on the, uh, trivia answer. Uh, you can, uh, uh, of course get us, uh, at any time, uh, through our, uh, various different, uh, social media platforms on Twitter at prospects pod. You can get Jordan at Jordan Blundell four. You can get, uh, me at duck Millard and you can get uh, the team at EDM prospects. And of course, you can email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. Check out our website, prospectsbaseballshow.ca. And for all of the team news, it's prospectsbaseballclub.com. Yours is Jordan Blundell 4, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. For some reason, I have 14 here no, no, typed in. Yeah, right? not 14. No idea where that would have... Uh, Jordan Blundell 4. ...would have uh, came from. So, yeah, you can... Uh, you can get into that, and um, we are going to get into uh, a little bit of fun right now. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Gagan! 
is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Barnes with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. It's time to build your all-time team. All right, all-time team um, has been switched around a little bit. Uh, we are now doing our top fives, and today it is our top five individual baseball playoff performances. So um, I'm going to play a clip, then you can uh, react to it. We have this all uh, programmed in. So I believe this is your... Um, Actually, give me your list right now, just to uh, to make sure I have it. Uh, no, I do. I do have it. Uh, you said okay. So I'm gonna play the clip. Yep. Then you can uh, tell your story about this one. Uh, but this is obviously uh, number five. Are we tied? Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, what a game, huh? What an inning! The seventh inning to this point has taken 40 minutes. So really quickly, I've, I've edited some of these clips because they're so long. So I apologize yep. to some of the legendary broadcasters that are in some of these clips, but they are a little bit edited for time. That was so what that whole like it, we I didn't even have time to put in what happened in the 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 when the Jays were in the field with Russell Martin. So yeah. you know, take us through that seventh inning uh, uh, of of craziness between the Royals and the Jays. You know, for for our area baseball, obviously the Blue Jays are on TV the most, and and. You know, they're not my favorite team. I, I'm an Expo guy, the favorite. We get in a whole nother discussion, but the impact that that franchise has in Canada is undeniable. It's a, it's a huge deal in Canada, and rightfully so. Uh, they've done a great job, and, and that whole seventh inning with the Russ Martin incident and th throwing the ball off the guy, and uh, for, for them to then come back, and, and Texas had to give them that opportunity. There was three errors on the infield straight, defensively. The one clip that we don't hear is is Harold Baines saying, you know, they basically had six outs in this yeah, inning. Yeah, and, and... Three errors in a row, and they were routine plays. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there's something higher power, as we, we've talked about in the past, when that's going on. Well, we hear the crowd... And then the home run, and then here the crowd doubles that, that like, horn, and then the fog horn. Um, Dino, I would love to have been in that building because the energy, uh, the blue. And then Jays. they got into it after. Remember, um, uh, it was a Sam Dyson that came up and and got in Double E's face because he was trying to quiet the crowd. And then there's that guy that threw the beer that yeah. worked for the beat. Like there was so much to that one inning, and it, like they said, it lasted forever. Yeah, and and then and then no love lost the following year with Rugnet mm -hmm. uh, throwing uh, throwing the shot at Batista, but but that home run, uh, well. As much as the home run is is significant in baseball lore, the bat flip, you know, and of all the guys in the last 15, 20 years that have hit big home runs and bat flipped, for that to be the bat flip, um, pretty cool. Uh, I, I don't care one way or the other. I mean, it, you're caught up in a moment that, that is so large, like mm -hmm. 50,000 people screaming at the top of the lungs. We heard how loud that was. 
You know, you, nobody's thinking, hey, this is how I'm going to do this. The, you know, this is all in the moment. Moment. And that bat flip is legendary. So that's number five. All right. Number four involves a uh, former Blue Jay, yeah. uh, Roy Halladay, in the playoffs. 33 years old, Brian, 6'6", 230 out of Arvada, California. He's had 11 years in the big leagues now. Uh, former first-round pick back in 95 by Toronto, but this is his first postseason game. Brandon Phillips leads off, and Roy Halladay about ready to cash in on something he's waited for his entire career. And a bouncer out to Chase Udley. And Roy Halladay picking him up and putting him down. Six up, six down as we head to the bottom of the second. 0-2 on Cabrera. Man, oh man. Roy Halladay locked and loaded here early. Two out, seventh inning. Seven no-hit innings. And you better believe it is October time here in Philadelphia. Halliday is one strike away. The 0-2. A bouncer. Ruiz. In time! Roy Halliday has thrown a no-hitter! Two things. I love Doctober. October. And I watched that. I stayed late at work yeah. when I worked. I, that's one of my baseball memories I've told in the past, uh, watching that game um, myself. And uh, I think it was John Sexsmith. We were just enthralled by that. But what do you remember about that game? Yeah, Doctober. Um, for Roy to be able to do that, you know, and, and again, with the the link to seeing him pitch so many times, you know, on TV up here, you know, having the opportunity to watch one of the game's greatest of his era um, do his thing countless amount of times in the AL East. And then finally gets that opportunity to go to Philly and, and the first postseason appearance goes out and throws a no hitter. He's like a walk away from a perfect game. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a perfect game earlier in the year that year. So that was kind of the, he was, the, he was uh, one of the few guys that's done, I think him and Don Larson, maybe, uh, are the only guys that throw in a no regular season and uh playoff no hitter. Yeah. And, and Larson threw one in the world series is perfect a perfect game. game yeah. Right. So, Against the Dodgers, um, yeah. uh, you know what can what can you say about Roy Halladay? And, and especially with what happened, right? Yeah, this this means a little bit more th- knowing that he's no longer with us, right? Yeah, no, like nobody that, thought about that that day. That oh my god, this guy in you know ten years is going to die in a plane crash. So yeah, um, and, and for Blue Jays fans, don't you think that was special? They they felt oh, like they first, were part of it a little bit. They there were many people wearing the the Phillies jumping on the Phillies bandwagon mm-hmm. because of Doctober and, and Roy Halladay and um, you know that's that's cool to see that that that's how much um, power and influence that player has that regardless of where he ends up like your fan base has been with him for a decade from the the promoted and he had like a a, a no hitter into the eighth inning his first outing ever in the big leagues before he went down to A ball and then came back up the pipe. You know, there's a lot of crowd emotions invested in the, in the Roy Holiday's career, and pretty cool to see that uh, you know the Blue Jays were cheering for the Phillies. That Blue Jay fans were cheering for the Phillies that day. All right, let's go back to 2004 for your number three on this list, and uh, this is just uh, you know legendary. I don't agree legendary. with uh, I don't agree with uh, Kurt Schilling's politics, but I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, and, yeah. and this is one of the reasons why. The story with Schilling, the ruptured sheath around the peroneal tendon in his right ankle. The question is, is that the Marcane itself that they're shooting into that ankle or blood from the shots? But like a scene from The Natural, Schilling climbs the mound and prepares to take on this Yankee lineup. A 2-2 now. 
Sierra strikes out, and that's the first strikeout of the night for Kurt Schilling. Right side, Millar knocks it down. It's Schilling having to get over and cover with that bad ankle. Two out. A feeble swing by Sierra. He strikes out for the third time, and game six goes to the eighth. All right, so that's Kurt Schilling's bloody sock game. Um, like, that is, I, I, first of all, Joe Buck is one of the best. I love Joe Buck. But I love how he, you know, compared it to The Natural, which I just watched with yeah. Robert Redford. Like, it really is, like, folklore stuff. Like, 20 years down the road, they're going to be like, ah, he was pitching on a torn ACL or something like that, the way it'll expand, right? Legendary. Yeah, the... <laughs> To, to go out there and, and then the blood showing up and, and, you know, it's Yankee Red Sox. Uh, you know, Schilling was, Schilling was a playoff dynamo. I mean, he just got it done countless amount of times. Uh, you know, we, we talked about this real briefly. Uh, he does have Hall of Fame numbers. And then part of what the Hall of Fame is, is that that player, if he's not in, are we missing something? And, and that story alone. You know that should coupled, get him in. Coupled with all the playoff the numbers, successes, yeah. um, that should put him over the top. You know his splitty was so good that day. Uh, like they, they had no chance against him, and he was a. Uh, you know that's uh, that's something that that we should bring up real quick is the wounded beast philosophy in in sports. He was he's a wounded animal, and that those are dangerous sometimes. I, I wonder if. Maybe he was focused on his ankle so much that everything else just kind of went automatic, like Nuclelouch and uh, Bull Durham, right? Eyes in the back of your head. Just he's, he's breathing it's, through his eyelids. Breathing through his eyelids, yeah. Like, you're you're, you're so focused on this ankle. How's it going to hold up? You're just dialed in automatically. So uh, it was pretty awesome. So was this. Your number two, another former Blue Jay, but this is when he was with the Twins, and it's Jack Morris. And here he is from Highland Park, suburb of St. Paul, Jack Morris, hometown boy, makes good. Down in order go the Braves. And he gets him out. Runner going. Strike! Into the 10th inning we go. Jack Morris still pitching. He gets his eighth strikeout. The Twins are going to win the World Series. The Twins have won it. It's a base hit. It's a one nothing, 10-inning victory. I don't even remember who hit the base hit. All I remember is Jack Morris from that game. And it's so much better that he's a local guy. Oh, like yeah. he, you, you, he, he was in your rotation, I yeah. think, your top five, because he was actually a beast, right? Oh, the, the playoff success, um, multiple franchises too. You know, what's he got? Three rings from three different franchises. You know, the guy that you want, we talked about, who do you want on the mound in game seven, winner take all? Uh, I'm just going to go win this game one nothing and, throw, ten innings, ten, and throw 10 innings. Strikes out eight, I think. You know, we had uh, we had our, our boy this summer go 10 for us. Hunter Boyd right. gave us a Herculean or a Jack Morris-like performance to to give us a shot in the playoffs. Um, you know, Hunter Boyd was was that guy for us. He was our, our Jack Morris this year, Bulldog. Um, you know, Jack Morris... He's that guy. You know, he was the guy that the Blue Jays went out and got because of this. And then he produced again. Mm. Um, and they had some good pitchers over those did. years. David Cohn, 
Dave Stewart. Uh, Dave Stewart was yeah. in there. They 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 had some guys that. But Dave first... Steve was still around. Was Dave Steve? No, no, he was. Yeah, around. he didn't get there. But they had some like you know, Dave Steve was the guy for a long yeah. time, and then Jack Morris kind of came in and be like, "Yeah, hey, I got the mantle." Yeah, and, and he took and, it to the next level, right? And, and that's exactly what the franchise needed was that mm. guy that they knew that they had. If and when they get to this situation where we need a guy to do this, mm-hmm. and that was Jack Morris. Um, really cool that in 91 for them to get that done and i've got uh a, a lot of people i know from the state of minnesota because of where i went to school in north right. dakota and, and yeah, i got a chance to play in the metrodome and and Dump. you know <laughs> some of those memories you know having watched that and kirby pocket and and the, the plexiglass you know all those things from my early childhood and you know, i got to experience and go in that building so it was really cool and i've got jack morris's performance as as number two I, I don't criticize a lot about your organization, but the fact that you guys didn't nickname Hunter Boyd Oil Can um, <laughs> was a, is a disappointing uh, aspect for me. All right, here's your number one. Uh, and this, like, I was two years old uh, when this happened, so this is all watching it in, yeah. in video, but it's amazing. And uh, we, we heard Doctober. This is Mr. October. Reggie Jackson. Big, big World Series for Reggie Jackson, despite all the palaver about his discontent with Billy Mott as he comes up with his third home run of the series. Reggie Jackson has seen two pitches in the strike zone tonight, two, and he's in them both in the seat. All right, so as great as that feed is, that's Howard Cosell too. Like yeah. that just adds to it. As <laughs> you know, you have one of the great like palabble he's thrown out there, and uh, Billy Martin. Um, so I was, I love that Howard Cosell. Take us through how incredible that accomplishment was in that game. You know, his first at bat was a four pitch walk. So that, and he had already hit a home run earlier in the series, and and it's Reggie Jackson. So you know that they're so they pitched around him. Perhaps. In the <laughs> or they were just scared and, yeah, they, and they missed. Probably more so that, yeah, because as as the rest of the game unfolded, you know, <laughs> to hit three home runs on three consecutive pitches. And then he ended up doing that again. Uh, like the next game, he hit a home run in his first at-bat the next game. So it was like his last four at-bats were home runs. You know, three home runs in a game, in a row, on three pitches, that's how you get called Mr. October. That's how you win World Series. It's home runs and strikeouts. It's that guy in the middle of the lineup, the, the big bomb hitter. Um, and, and Reggie did what Reggie's supposed to do. And, man, how cool would that have been? I mean, I wasn't alive yet, but to, to be a Yankees fan and to watch that, I mean, I can just imagine how cool that would have been. Yeah, that is, uh, that is so awesome. Before I get to uh, my top five, uh, this is from uh, Corey Lavalette. says, Jack Morris for the Twins in 91 is the one that stands out to me. 
more than any from my adolescence. Ten innings in Game 7 to cap it off, and obviously that was your in your list. So uh, a good company for everybody. Okay, so for me, uh, my number five, it involves Kurt Schilling, uh, but it also involves Randy Johnson. Uh, this is when they were in the Diamondbacks. And yeah. This is so cool. Like Kurt Schilling came back and pitched for the third time, started <laughs> yeah. uh, for the third time uh, in that series. His numbers were ridiculous. So then he goes seven and a third, gives way to, uh, they brought Miguel Batista, they brought in for one pitch. And then Randy Johnson comes in, throws 17 pitches, 12 of them strikes. Perfect, gets them to the ninth inning. The Yankees had Mariano Rivera in for the eighth, and he got through like the heart of the order. And then in the ninth inning, uh, Luis Gonzalez. Hit a screamer. The The chance of a lifetime for Luis Gonzalez. 2-2, bottom of the ninth, game seven of the World Series. Bases loaded, infield in, one out. Floater. Center field, the Diamondbacks are world champions. Okay, so great baseball announcers, let the play breathe. Uh, You're going to hear one a little bit later, um, but Joe Buck did a great job. And and one of the things I love is, this is is one of the things I love about watching baseball. Just that part. The sound of... Good announcers let the play play out. So anyway, Johnson and 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 Schilling were co MVPs of that World Series. Schilling could have got it on his own, but Johnson mm. was pretty good. And Luis Gonzalez, just a little Texas leaguer, broken bat, yeah, shattered like, in, off back, his fingers. Like it didn't even hit. I don't even think it hit wood. His hands broken. <laughs> you go back to that ball. Jays comeback that we were talking about in that seventh inning. Yeah. I think it was Donaldson just hit a little Texas leaguer over Odor's glove, right? You don't need much sometimes. The Yankees had the infield in. And I hate the infield in. Of all the shifts. You hate it? Uh, well, you have to do it. Oh, sorry. Okay, I just yeah, hate yeah. it when you have right, to yeah. do that because that always seems to be what yeah. happens. So that was 2001. Um, pretty cool moment for the Diamondbacks. Uh, yeah. I think they were the fastest team to win a World Series, only like four years or something. It helped when you had those two studs of Schilling and and kind of like what the, uh, the Astros yeah. uh, have right now. All right. Number four for me is 2004, Red Sox down 3 nothing, oh. and they got blasted in game three. Like, they got blown out. <laughs> Don't let us win tomorrow. And Dave Roberts steals a base in oh. the ninth inning to tie the game. They get to the 12th at Fenway, facing elimination, and this is why Big Poppy gets so many ovations at Fenway. Ortiz. A five-hour, two-minute game and worth every second of it for the Boston Red Sox. And this ALCS will live on for game five. And six and seven. And they would win it. And then they would obviously break the curse. And, you know, there have been some amazing, like, Ted Williams, pretty amazing guy, hitting 400. Do you think there has been any more popular Red Sox in the last 50 years than David Ortiz. No, no, big poppy. Uh, he owns the city uh, for what he did for that franchise. Like that um, was the, the the catalyst of them winning yeah, that year. Yeah, and, and uh, like, Dino, how how does this even happen where you're down 3-0? You've never won the big game. You never beat the Yankees. 
and you come back from the at the time I don't think a team had ever done that never, never. 3-0 down and then it's in the baseball. Red Sox yeah, yeah. and they and come back and win yeah. yeah like the whole the whole 9 yards it's the whole 10 yards it's a first down there like for that story that that's one of the most amazing stories of my lifetime in this sport mm-hmm. I'm I'm with you that was uh, I was watching that and then game seven the... was over like the first yeah, it was day. Done, like, yeah. yeah, like you're yeah. done. I, I remember watching that like that night and I'm like, oh my God, they're still alive and blah, blah, blah. So it was pretty cool. So that's number four. Uh, number three, I'm going back to 2001, uh, the year that I was talking about the Diamondbacks uh, beating the Yankees in the World Series. Well, the Yankees got there because of this play from Derek Jeter. You got to wait for a gapper. Coming down the line, fielded with his bare hand, a shovel to Posada, and Giambi is out. What an unbelievable play by Cheater. So, a few things about this. That's the A's and the Yankees in the ALDS, I think it was. Yeah, game five. In 2001. And the, the A's had the Yankees on the ropes in that series. I think they were up 2-0. I think that was game three, actually. Yeah, okay. And the, yeah, yeah, the A's had yeah. won two in, in New York. Um, and so a couple of things. If if they hit the cutoff man once, that play's not even close. But two things. Why are the A's sending Giambi, in my opinion, and why didn't he slide? I know he said he didn't want to slow down, but you have to slide, don't you? What, what do you think? That's what irritates me every time I see that is, how are you not sliding? Like, how do you not... Would you have sent him in the first place? I don't know. I, yeah, like, I don't know. They may, like, they see the cut guys. They see who's playing right field. Maybe maybe the history is there. Is he's, he's, he's not good at hitting the relay. Or they, they may have some advanced scouting that's like, we're going to test a, a relay down the line. Um, you know, Jeremy Giambi, I don't think at any point, was ever described as the most meticulous baseball player. Right. Uh, you know what, like... And it may not even be his fault. It might have been the guy on deck's fault for not getting there and, and motioning for him to slide, perhaps. It's the playoff slide. Perhaps. Um, anyway, I, I think that's on him. Ultimately, on yeah. I mean, you got to be safe there. I don't even know. Like, when you watch the replay, can you even really tell if he was out or safe yeah, I know. on top of all of that? Yeah. But but the play itself, like, Jeter, I read an article many years later, and he just he say, said, I was where I was supposed to be. That's something that comes up in spring training, that that exact play. You know, it's not something that he had never... Yeah, but you're doing your job. Exa- exactly, he did his job. That's why you he cover. He did his job. That, that was the... Wasn't that so iconic, though? Like, that, that is that the, flip? the the final straw of Jeter is Jeter. You know, that, he makes that's that the, play. That's yeah. the play Jeter makes. Jeter's team beats your team because Jeter's team makes that play. Right. You have Derek Jeter. He gets, he makes those... Yeah. Um, all world plays. So that's the flip in 2001. And number two, I'm going back to uh, 1993. Mitch Wilding oh, Williams yes. comes in to face the Blue Jays and Joe Carter at the dish. Joe has had his moments. Two balls and two strikes on him. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it! The 
Blue Jays are World Series champions as Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. That call by Tom Cheek is up there in Canadian sports with Donovan Bailey's gold medal, Henderson's gold in 72, and the golden goal uh, for Sidney Crosby. That touch them all, Joe, from uh, Tom Cheek. And we we just kind of discussed that. Oh, by the way, the Angels have officially fired uh, Brad Osmus. That's uh, just coming down now from uh, ESPN. Uh, so uh, we'll wait for the Joe Madden announcement uh, in Anaheim. But, you know, the, like the, the Jays, Joe Carter, um, you know, was the final out in 92 as well, right, yeah. at, at first base. Uh, but, you know, Molitor had got things done in that inning. Um, I, I'm trying to think if it was Alomar uh, as well. But anyway, um, they had brought in Mitch Williams, who wild thing. was wild thing. And, and, you know, just Joe Carter going down and getting it and uh, – you know, we, we chatted about the guys that the Blue Jays brought in to supplement the talent, something they're going to have to do in the next couple of years. Yeah. Can they find another Joe Carter? Can yeah. they find uh, another Alomar, another Devon White, these kind of guys to, to supplement? Well, not, not specifically those positions, I'm saying, but um, that Joe Carter, you know, that that put him in, you know, he never pays for another drink in Canada. No, and, and like, I wonder what his, like, if, if he wakes up every morning and like, yeah, I was that guy. Like, That's like, his alarm. <laughs> exactly call. like to have it's, that be part of your life and yeah. you're that guy it's 7 a.m joe has and that goes off moments you know that that, that home run goes off to uh, to wake uh, him up uh, right? start of another great day uh, it has it on loop on a tv <laughs> in every room in his house you know i wonder what his life's like, yeah. like just, it never nothing's ever too bad man you all right it's time to it. send my daily cupcakes to mitch williams uh, <laughs> for the day for okay so my number one is uh, and this is going to be no surprise that anybody's that's listened to this show and, and I, I'm actually dedicating this one to Jack Cookson from uh, from Pro Am Sports. Um, this is 1988 Dodgers uh, A's World Series game one, and uh, you know Kirk Gibson was not even supposed to play. Uh, the Dodgers were underdogs. Dennis Eckersley, who had I think 45 saves that season, came on to close it out, and uh, the great Vin Scully tells us the rest of the story. And look who's coming up. All year long, they look to him to light the fire. And all year long, he answered the demands until he was physically unable to start tonight with two bad legs, the bad left hamstring and the swollen right knee. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. If he hits the ball on the ground, I would imagine he would be running 50% to first base. So the Dodgers trying to catch lightning right now. With the left knee bothering him, he can't push off. Well, now he can't push off and he can't land. Four three A's. Two out, ninth inning. Not a bad opening act. Sacks waiting on deck. But the game right now is at the plate. The impossible has happened. 
13-year-old Dean Millard lost his mind in a <laughs> hotel room. I'm going to have to ask my brother where he was trying out for hockey because our family had gone and I watched that in a hotel room. And uh, again, another great example of Vince Scully. Like the whole clip, if you listen to it, it, it we would be here for three hours because yep. he just lets it breathe, lets the crowd go. But the way he kind of set it up and it was so amazing. Like Kirk Gibson was on the training table during the whole game. And it's like, come on. And that was it. He never, that was his only plate appearance. But like, didn't that sound like a, like a, a training for medical students of like all the injuries that he's running down and he <laughs> still can get it. And, and you know, the, the most uh, iconic scene of that is him barely getting around the base pass with the, the arm pumping, right? Like he's, he's hobbling around those bases. Yeah. Yeah, and that's on adrenaline, and that's that all is, he has. And that's all. That's why he never played again. Yeah, like his hobble was aided by all the adrenaline, so it's even worse. Like, I, I don't even know how he got back home. But one of the other iconic things of that home run are the two brake lights out in right field beyond. People were already leaving because it's L.A. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because it takes so long to get out of Chavez the car, Ravine. And all the brake lights go on. It's like, yeah, you screwed up, dude. You, guys you just left. missed one yeah. of the coolest things in the history of the game. Kirk Gibson was, you know, similar to Jack Morris. He's that guy, yeah. that bulldog. And they played on the Tigers back then, yeah. you know, and that there's something to be said about that uh, dogged desire and, and relenting pursuit and, and the leadership that that brings. Um, what a cool moment that is. Um, my roommate in college, one of my best friends, uh, Tim Nelson, huge Dodger fan. His dad's a huge Dodger fan. They've got Dodger blue Ford Mustang. Um, <laughs> that's an iconic moment there, so... Yeah, you leave the game early. My wife, uh, and, and I can't blame her, um, for her birthday one year, I said we're going to see a, a concert in Calgary. It's a, at the uh, COP, and Pearl Jam is headlining. She does not like Pearl Jam, but it was her birthday, so I bought her the tickets so I could go see Pearl Jam. <laughs> so we went with our friends, and she's like, okay, this I know this is my birthday. We're leaving. I'm making the call. We're leaving. We, we left before they played Jeremy for the encore. So I, I can empathize with those uh, Dodger fans yeah. that left before Gibson made history. And then, of course, the Bulldog, uh, you know, would Well, maybe in the car it was kind of the same thing. Like your significant other's like, let's get out of yeah, here. Yeah, that's then, right, yeah. And then he's like, I told you. <laughs> Gibson was going to hit this home run. But at least they got to listen to Vin uh, yeah. while, while they were driving in their car. So, I, listen, I hope there's a, a Dodger hero again this year uh, that ends the drought since 88. And... Um, We'll see. Okay, Keegan Matheson was a lot of fun to talk with today at MLB. He's from MLB.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Keegan Matheson. Uh, next week, we'll be in the uh, heart of the playoffs, and hopefully we'll have some good news with you guys about Remax Field. This is a fun show today, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, watching the playoffs and the Dodgers and the curse. You're speechless. Ban the shift. <laughs> It's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This.